Hello and welcome to the Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is just going to be a very quick introduction to this week's episode because we are sharing a conversation that EC had recently with Brooke Simonson. Brooke is the host of the Health Investment Podcast, which you can find out more about at thehealthinvestment.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Health Investment EC. And Brooke, get into a whole bunch, including, of course, the 800-gram challenge, including EC's 10 principles of nutrition. And they debunk some myths <laughs> that EC wishes uh, would just well, flat out go away. Uh, hope you enjoy. Without further ado, here is Brooke and EC on the Health Investment Podcast. Can you share a bit of your background with us and specifically what made you want to devote your life, really, it seems, to studying and simplifying nutrition principles? Yeah. So I run Optimize Me Nutrition. I offer educational programs for corporate wellnesses, gyms, individuals to hopefully clarify and simplify nutrition for them. You know, I don't totally know how and why I ended up with nutrition. I, I do think it makes some sense. I, I find that one of the themes over my different career paths that I've had is that I really enjoy making the complex simple. And so I think nutrition is a topic where we need some of that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's why I've ended up where I have. It's so apparent through your Instagram. Mm. I was telling you off air, I'm a huge fan, big follower. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we'll definitely share your handle at the mm -hmm. end, but everybody should follow you on Instagram oh, immediately you. because you're one of the accounts. There's a lot of fluff out there. Sometimes I feel like my, my own is fluff as well. Mm. I'm still trying to figure out like, how do I provide the most actionable evidence-based tips? Mm -hmm. um, but yours is kind of like a library mm. of just the science behind nutrition. And you do put it in such simple terms mm. because I think there are other accounts that are also very evidence-based and awesome, but they're still not simple. <laughs> well, thank you. I, if I have to give credit for that, it actually would be my first career. I was an environmental consultant and I helped prepare an expert witness for testimony for who pays to clean up environmental pollution and he oh was gosh. a master at clarity. I remember one of the first drafts I, I gave him as a review of the data. He said, what is this, a mystery novel? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the whole point is, though, we have these clients who had massive liabilities, and we've got to get in front of a, a you know 12 of our peers as a jury and convince people who have never thought about environmental engineering or chemical engineering and help them understand the data. So all credit to my former boss there. He he really shaped a lot of how I think and present information. So cool how certain people along the road will, mm. things they say stick with you, yeah. but uh, that makes a lot of sense then mm. because your Instagram account is definitely not a mystery novel. <laughs> very, very, very basic, um, but also complex in ways, but it, basic in the best sense. Mm. Thank you. I love how you speak about addition of foods rather than subtraction, mm -hmm. which is kind of counter to diet culture. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so important to focus on what you're adding in rather than what you're cutting out? Yeah. Well, I think the hardest thing that we 
face making habit changes in nutrition is consistency and helping people find something that is truly sustainable. And, you know, how many different diets out there do we have that are like, you can never eat the foods that you want? (laughs) There's a lot and they don't seem to be going very well. So this was just sort of a flip the script on that, right? Well, let's focus on what we're going to add. Now, by default, when we add enough of the good stuff, we we tend to reduce some of the stuff that we're overeating. And so ultimately, people have restriction. But there isn't the same kind of mental thought of I can't have anything I want. It's like, no, you can still have that stuff for sure. Anything can be part of a healthy diet. But let's make sure that we really fill up on the good stuff first. And that might by default, then kind of get our total quantity in line and and keep those more processed goodies in check a little bit. So I just think it's a little bit more mentally freeing. um, And so that's hopefully helping people with sustainability. I always compare it to that. I don't know if you did this when you were younger. This can make me sound like a nerd, but we did like a magic trick on the playground of you'd tell somebody, don't think of the Empire State Building and then be like, aha, that's all you can think about right Uh, now. Like that's all you can visualize. So I like to say that to my clients of when you're saying don't, eat carbs. Don't think about carbs. That's kind of all that you can focus on, whether you realize it or not. Subconsciously, you're probably craving them more or you will eventually because that sucks to just cut out an entire macronutrient. Well, and it also just is against what's true. We can eat these processed foods and be healthy. We can't eat only processed foods and be healthy, but they certainly can be part of a healthy diet. So instead of going through these periods of these complete restriction, why don't we spend the time working on habits that are what we're going to use indefinitely? Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's really where I like to focus my time. Awesome. Yeah. Well, on that topic, I would love if you could dive into your 800 grams Mm -hmm. challenge and explain how that works. Yeah. So the 800 gram challenge is to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables of your choice each day. And then you continue to eat whatever else you want. So sure, you're going to continue to have protein foods, continue to have wine, dark chocolate, whatever else it is. Um, But you want to make sure you get these 800 grams in. Like I said, it's the fruits and veggies of your choice, and you can weigh them cooked, canned, frozen, or fresh. It ends up being about six cups. So a great strategy for people just starting out, you want to think about getting two cups in at each main meal, and and you're going to get there. Wow. And then what sort of successes do people realize Mm -hmm. after just doing that? So I used to work for uh, CrossFit. And so a good amount of my audience is CrossFit, CrossFitters. And maybe surprisingly, my first responses that I got from the 800 gram challenge were people were reporting better performance, better energy, less aches and pains. And then as it's continued to grow and spread, I definitely hear more people talking about it from a weight loss perspective, which it can do, of course, by increasing uh, the amount of low calorically dense items in the diet and cutting out some of that processed stuff. So definitely general weight, health and fitness goals um, can be improved with the 800 gram challenge. Can you also just explain for listeners why 800 grams of fruits and vegetables would help you to feel full? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because our fruits and vegetables are basically like eating water. (laughs) You're eating a lot Mm -hmm. of water to get through 800 grams and that physically fills up your stomach. And so that's why that's part of the reason of why you can feel full. Now, it turns out that we feel full for other reasons, including the calories within those foods. Um, But this is a big part of the magic of the 800 gram challenge is that you are too full to eat too much of the other stuff. Um, It's very Mm -hmm. satisfying. And so cool that just for someone starting out, 
if that's all you have to focus on, first of all, as we talked about, it's adding mm-hmm. rather than subtracting. Mm-hmm. And like you said, canned, frozen, mm-hmm. there's really no huge restrictions on that mm-hmm. if you're used to tons of restrictions in your past. And if that's the fir- the only thing you're focusing on, it just talk about simplicity. There it is right there. Totally. And I allow beans and lentils and avocado and potatoes and yams and all these things that, you know, depending on which diet it might be, haven't been considered fruit or vegetable. And for me, they're all fair game because that's not what the problem is in our diet. Like nobody's eating too many black beans. Like it's just, okay, guys, (laughs) it's fine. We can include these in the (laughs) diet. Right. Um, And and certainly the 800 gram challenge won't get everyone to where they want to be. Ultimately, It, it helped out a lot of people, but I do consider it a kind of the first intro step like hey we want to make people making positive changes in their diet like here's the softball you've got choices over which fruits and vegetables you're eating you know you don't have to restrict anything in your diet cooked canned frozen or fresh like have at it make it dare I say fun (laughs) right and I'm sure it's a great first step as well in terms of adding something in Mm -hmm. and the simplicity of it versus some gross meal replacement mm-hmm. shake or cutting out all processed sugar or whatever people have done in the past. Mm-hmm. And it does. Yeah. It does seem kind of fun. Yeah. I know recently for uh, my husband and me, I've just been thinking more about canned beans mm-hmm. when I'm making anything mm-hmm. and just how could I add a fourth to a half cup mm-hmm. of beans yeah. to whatever. And we ran out of beans the other day and he was like, Oh no, <laughs> what are we going to do? So last night I ordered some more, but restocked up. But it, even that has been kind of fun mm-hmm. just to throw canned beans on a salad yeah. or throw them into pasta. Um, and so easy because you literally just take them out of the can and drain and rinse them. Totally. Yeah. I'm, for some reason they got banned by various groups and it's unfortunate. They're quite healthy. Like I said, the black bean is not the problem in the diet. <laughs> right, exactly. Nobody's overeating no. a baked potato, right? It's the French fries and potato chips Correct. that are super delicious mm-hmm. <laughs> and easy to overeat. Speaking again of clearing up confusion, you have 10 principles of nutrition mm-hmm. and you post these frequently and they're on your website so people can go there and check them out. But I would love to dive into each one briefly mm-hmm. because I think what you aim to do in this is you just basically clear up any confusion there is about nutrition through these 10 principles. Yeah. I mean, the way the principles came to be where they basically were the concepts underlying the answers to most of the questions that I got asked. And and that's mm-hmm. ultimately how it came to be like, what does this person not understand about nutrition so that they could answer their own question? And so I find that these principles hold true regardless of the diet you follow. They're sort of the why. Now, whether or not you end up doing the 800-gram challenge, paleo, counting calories, whatever, fine enough. These principles are still going to hold true. And so my intent is this is my main message in nutrition. I want people to understand these such that they can then select their own method. They can select their own diet. And whether or not that's the 800-gram challenge or not is less important to me to understanding this. So you can kind of get out of the tailspin of new diet after new diet. Mm, Right. I love that. I was hosting a workshop the other day. I called it the three C's of fat loss Mm. or sustainable fat loss, consistency, cravings, and calories, Mm -hmm. and just kind of breaking those things down. And somebody said, um, which I thought was a great compliment, you kind of uh, debunked or kind of explained all the algorithms Mm. behind (laughs) all of these things out there. They'd done Weight Watchers for years and all of these things. And there is an algorithm behind 
all of these different diets or apps. And then a lot of the times the apps, they want you to keep paying mm-hmm. or it's Weight Watchers, maybe they, you know, they don't want you to exactly understand mm-hmm. the principles behind what they're teaching right. you. And that's mm-hmm. what I aim to do. And I think that's what you aim to do through these, which I love. Right. Um, so let's debunk the algorithm or sure, sure. <laughs> make it transparent for everyone. Right. Um, so I'll just go through them. And then if you could elaborate on what you mean by each, would that yeah. work for you? Of course. Awesome. Okay, so the first one is the quantity of food you eat in calories determines your weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first two are related to quantity. And I think that's something that's kind of misunderstood. A lot of times we think about how much we ate and how full we feel. When really when we're talking about how much did we eat, we can measure it in two different ways. One is calories and one is macronutrients that we'll get to. And so we can look at the total calories consumed in a day. And whether or not you're eating more or less than your body needs will be reflected in your weight. And this, I'm sure, is particularly helpful to for people who have gone to exercise first and foremost for mm-hmm. weight loss. Mm-hmm. Is that do you find that to be the case? Yeah, I mean, I also though find you know there's messages in the nutrition space that are like calories don't matter, and it's like whoa, hold mm-hmm. on, wait a minute, yes they do. <laughs> now right. you don't have to count calories to see success on your diet. I mean, we kind of just briefly went over that a little bit with the 800 gram challenge. But certainly if you're seeing weight loss, it's because there is a decrease in calories. Now, maybe you achieve that deficit of calories by increasing your exercise or making some different food choices. But if there is weight loss, it's because you're eating less calories than your body needs. Yeah. And also how frustrating if you're doing something like keto, Mm. And I've had clients come to me who have gained weight on keto mm-hmm. and they have no idea what's going right. on because it's supposed to be this magical fat loss hack. Right. But they're ultimately eating in a calorie surplus. Exactly. They're not too I much mean, with all the butter. butter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. The nut butters will really get you. The, the bacon and um, almond butter isn't, isn't the way to fat loss. Exactly. I had a client the other day. Uh, text me, do you know how many calories are in a <laughs> tablespoon of peanut butter? <laughs> yes, yes, <I laughs> Which do. is the most offensive, uh, I think, thing everybody realizes is the nut butters. Yep. Not that there's anything wrong with them, exactly. but how they can really sneak up on you if you're not careful. Totally. And you mentioned, so number two also relates to quantity. Mm-hmm. You say the quantity of food you eat in macronutrients determines your body composition. Right. So our calories are coming from macronutrients, macronutrients being protein, carbohydrate, and fat. They all have a caloric value to them. But, you know, if you really want to get after a specific body composition, having a certain amount of muscle mass to fat mass, you know, we're not just going to do all of our calories in terms of carbohydrates. We have to see a good amount of protein represented there. And then depending on your activity or performance goals, how carbs and fat are split are also going to dictate that. And so this is then how we break down quantity a little bit further, not just looking at total calories, but how are those calories broken down across the three macronutrients to get after these outcomes we want? Do you have a certain percentage of macronutrients, like a breakdown that works well for most people, or is it super individualized? Um, you know, that's a, that's a great question because I think people spend a little bit too much time fine tuning their macronutrient ratios when there are bigger fish to fry. Love these different nutrition puns I'll use, but, um, (laughs) but I generally find at my protein recommendations, people will find their protein in the 20 to 25% range. 
And then that leaves carbs and fat to be somewhat split between 30 or 40% somewhere in there. Each is fine enough. You know, people I think will spend time being like, well, should carbs be at 32% or 35%? And once you're kind of in this general middle ground of somewhere like near 25% protein and then carbs and fat somewhere in the 30s to 40s, for most of us, that is going to be fine enough. The next thing to look at would be like, am I getting enough quality within those macronutrients? Am I exercising hard enough and with intent? Am I sleeping enough? Am I decreasing life? stress before worrying about again, you know, does fat need to come up or down two, three, two, three percentage points. And that's just what I hear so often. I'm sure you do as well as people just get in the weeds yes. of these things that they hear that they have to do. And then you're just debilitated and it's hard to stay consistent mm-hmm. when you're just so overwhelmed or you have a day where you had 35% carbs rather than 32%. And right. you're like, ah, what have I done? <laughs> right. And it's like, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, you're totally fine. Exactly. The third one is timing only matters to the extent it, it affects quantity. Mm-hmm. So there's tons of questions out there. Like, does it matter when I have my protein shake? Or does it matter if I skip breakfast? What's hard to untangle with these timing questions is often that does affect the total quantity that you're eating. Like if you skip breakfast, generally people eat less food, though not always. And so what this principle is saying is is it doesn't really matter when you eat. We, We don't find a ton of evidence that it really matters if you have that protein shake right after the workout, so long as the total quantity is consistent across the two scenarios. Um, And so I have people just focus on total quantity, not necessarily when that is occurring. Mm -hmm. So in the example of protein, Mm -hmm. for example, if you're skipping breakfast and you're missing, let's say 30 grams of protein at breakfast, it might be hard to make up for that later on in the day. Right, exactly. And that's what people I think... um, that's how we get so tangled on these issues of, of timing and quantity. Because of course, if you miss a time at which you normally eat, <laughs> as you've mentioned, it's now harder to play catch up. And so maybe you won't be able to play catch up at all. But the, the point is, could you shift that protein shake to before bed and or sometime in the morning with breakfast and get the same effect? Yes. Even when training, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then even when training heavily or, you know, there's all the bro science out there of when to drink the protein shake. Yeah. You know, I I did a podcast on nutrient timing and a lot of these studies that look at timing, they are confounded by the issue that I just discussed. They're actually quantity studies because if they're comparing somebody having a protein shake after a workout to the placebo, well, the placebo can't be a protein shake. So it means that that placebo group typically doesn't have that 30 grams of protein and therefore have less protein overall in the day. So it's not really a timing study. It's a quantity study. Um, and so we don't have a ton of evidence that, that, that timing matters. Um, you know, on the counter side of that, and I, I, I agree with this as well, that there isn't evidence to suggest that trying to have the protein shake after the workout is harmful. And so, yeah, if somebody has a high amount of protein to intake across the day, like when else are they going to get all of the protein in unless they eat after their workout, right? Like once you factor in different logistics of life and getting your workout in, like oftentimes eating after a workout is a great time to do it. But we don't have a ton of evidence that it really does matter so much. So as much as I would think the mainstream media says. Mm-hmm. What about when people think that they need to have carbs before they work out? Yeah, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. We want to look at total quantity um, in the day before we worry about any sort of timing. Now, the issue here is, you know, how long has it been since your last feeding time? You know, if it's been 
I don't know, 24 hours, then yeah, maybe you do want to have some carbs before the workout, especially if it's going to be a high intensity training. But I find that most of us, when we just sort of eat normally, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. not doing these extreme fasting periods, not trying to have some wacky schedule of when we eat, that we have plenty of fuel reserves on hand, especially if we're not an endurance athlete. Like if we're doing these kind of group X classes that are hour or less or something like that, like even if you haven't eaten in several hours, you have plenty of fuel reserves. Like the body is robust to handle that. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. Do you find that intermittent fasting can be uh, an effective tool for some people Mm. who don't prefer breakfast, for example, if they get enough food later in the day? Yeah, I mean, it it can be, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with fasting because I do appreciate how much it can simplify things like only eat during these periods. But, you know, ultimately our goals come down to what we ate during those periods. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if we eat too little or too much, this is then affecting the goals. And so I sometimes don't love it because I think it's not really focusing on the factors that matter. If ultimately how many calories we consumed and the macronutrient distribution and the quality of the nutrients in those calories and macronutrients are what dictate our goals, why aren't we focusing on them instead of when to eat? Um, and so that's ultimately why I come back to recommending, hey, these are the foods to eat versus other variables that might influence that. If you're doing intermittent fasting, you have to have an understanding of numbers one and two. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that you're getting enough of the calories and the macronutrients mm-hmm. exactly. in your feeding window. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, number four is the quality of food as determined by micronutrient density determines your health. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to mention that these principles are a good roadmap for education in my mind. They're not perfectly accurate in every aspect of physiology. And what I mean by that is principles one and two, the calories and macronutrients you eat definitely affect your health as well. It's not just the micronutrients. But what I'm getting after here is what we find time and time again in the literature is that whole unprocessed foods are associated with health. And not only do they have the micronutrients of vitamins and minerals, and they also have fiber and they also have phytochemicals, but they have this match between quantity and quality that's better than our processed foods. So they actually do principles one, two, and four (laughs) at the same time simultaneously. But um, that's, that's what this is really saying. When we focus on these foods that have a high nutrient density of, again, the micronutrients, we find that that's associated with health in part because they're also getting our calories and macros in check. This is then really debunking the idea that all calories are created equal. Mm-hmm. In a certain sense, yes, but in then another sense, no. Right. Yes. I mean, people 
uh, that phrase, it's, it's tough because it's like calories are an expression of how much energy you will get from that food. But we don't only eat food for energy. I mean, we need like minerals for bone density, <laughs> you know, or we yeah. need minerals in the, or vitamins in the production of energy. And so, yeah, we can think about food in terms of calories. But we, again, we use food for other things besides energy. Mm-hmm. Your fifth one is it is never one thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for you to dive into this one. Yeah, this might be my favorite one. First of all, it kind of summarizes the the first principles that we went through. Like people will be like, well, should I focus on calories or macros? It's like both. Should I focus on micros or macros? Both. (laughs) So it's always like, this is the thing with (laughs) nutrition. If you want to focus on one thing, you will forever be lost because ultimately it's going to come down to a lot of factors. And then to expand on this further, most people's goals you know, aren't just about nutrition. They're also in, interlocking or how they're working with your lifestyle factors as well. What does the exercise look like? What does sleep look like? What does stress look like? And so this is where I find sometimes when people get too in the weeds on one nutrition aspect, like, should my protein be at a 0.7 or a 0.8 multiplier? It's like, I'm going I'm to guarantee that you're going to get more benefit out of training harder than worrying about that level of detail in your nutrition, right? And so that's the other thing. It's like, we have to keep constantly checking in on the big picture here versus getting too in the weeds on any one thing. I feel like that one could have just been the mind blow emoji <laughs> for somebody listening when you're saying, you know, it's not just this one thing. It could be these other things. Mm-hmm. I had a client come to me recently and uh, they were working with a trainer and the trainer was having them focus on protein and they were only focusing on protein, mm-hmm. but not losing any weight. Mm-hmm. And they were just so, so confused. And then they, some of my clients track calories, some don't, mm-hmm. but this person decided to. And then after just a week, <laughs> they were like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on? What have I been doing for right. these past months? Um, but it can, everything is so reductionist mm-hmm. now, right? And then there's the person who speaks about intermittent fasting. And then there's the person who teaches you macro counting. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different niches, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're kind of told to niche down in the nutrition and health world. Mm-hmm. So you're known for your one thing. Mm-hmm. But then if you're following a person and they're talking only about that one thing, it may feel like it is just one thing. Mm. Yeah, I probably could go in a lot of different ways with this. But yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of a difficulty here too for the nutrition coach, because guess what? I gave everybody the 800 gram challenge to start at the same time, knowing it doesn't perfectly address all of these principles. And it's not the only thing to do in nutrition. We have to ride this balance when we're coaching individuals that we don't also give them all 10 things to do at once. Mm, right? Right, right. So there is a little bit of that where we have to focus on one change at a time in terms of the very real habit change. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that having somebody focus on protein for a period of time is bad. It's just also helping that individual understand of, Hey, there's other factors that we have to get to as well. And and the other thing I would say on that, that I think is actually a really great way for people to evaluate nutrition information or nutrition experts is how do they reconcile the fact that there's so many experts that only are preaching one thing. And if they don't reconcile that, that they're probably selling versus educating you know, how is it that we have people that are wildly successful on a vegan diet and also a carnivore diet? How mm-hmm. are, are they explaining that? Because they should be if they're educating. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point. Your sixth principle is all diets control quantity to vary varying levels of precision. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is basically just trying to make some sense of the hundreds of different diets that we have, you know, paleo only eat these certain foods, intermittent fasting only eat at these certain times, 800 gram challenge, focus on adding fruits and vegetables. Basically, what we're trying to do is trying to get quantity in check without having to weigh and measure everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Macros does it to the complete accuracy of weighing and measuring everything, even counting calories would be there as well. And then every other diet out there is trying to get people to do that without having to weigh and measure. And of course, they have varying degrees of precision to that. And it's because it's really hard to get people to want to weigh and measure. It's really hard to sustain that. And so that's why we keep seeing these same kind of ideas recycled over in different ways. So to try to get people to adhere to something that fits with their preferences or their habits, their lifestyle, without having them to control it to the, the level of detail that, that really is what dictates the results. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, the seventh one is sustainability is the most important factor in diet selection. Yeah. Um, there's kind of two parts here. I mean, obviously, if we want long term results, we need the person to stick to it for a while. <laughs> so if it's something that they can't see themselves doing in a year, I sometimes like to say, you know, give your diet the year check, can you see yourself doing this in a year? And if not, I, I don't know if it's where to start, because we need you to mm. stick to this for long enough to see results that are truly meaningful in the sense of your life. You know, the other flip side, though, of this is we have to understand that if you want change, you you have to change what you're currently doing and such that you might say, well, my my current diet of, you know, um, I don't know, chips and, and donuts is really sustainable for me. It's like, OK, well, re-see principles one through 10, skipping <laughs> this one, right? Like we now have to reconcile that with the fact that calories matter and macros matter. So it's it's kind of finding the most sustainable level of change, really, to get after the results mm. you want. That's a really good way to say it. I love that you say the one year right. challenge. I, I, I went to the nth degree and said uh, the hundred year challenge. Oh, I'm like, could you do this? <laughs> I was like, could you eat this way for a hundred years? If the answer is no, then maybe don't do it. Right. But one year is probably better. <laughs> what I'm, what I'm essentially meaning is, you know, could you sure. drink a meal replacement shake for a hundred years or one year even? Probably not. Right. So right. it's going to be tough to sustain any results after that. Your eighth one is the universal diet problem is processed foods. Mm. Yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit with the with the bean conversation, I think, in the sense that, you know, I haven't worked with anybody from a nutrition perspective where I'm like, we really have to cut back on the lean turkey breast and black beans, you know, like <laughs> we're just eating. Tea. I actually should take that back. I think I had some one person in, over the years that was really, really excessively eating protein. But it's just like most people, it's going to come back to the fact that we like these processed goodies. I'm right there with you. Like, I think this, this stuff tastes good. Of course, chips and cookies taste good, right? This is the issue that we have to work on somehow limiting in our diet. Now, how do we go about that? That's why we have all these different diets. But time and time again, it comes back to the fact that this is the issue that we really have to clamp down on. It's not the whole unprocessed foods. I always like to say that, you know, visualize the bag of chips being made maybe over the course of a year Mm. to perfect the crispiness and the saltiness (laughs) and the sweetness. And it's in a lab, right? And so if you're, if you can't stop eating this, there's not a problem with you. It was literally designed by scientists, probably a whole team of them to be irresistible and something that's hard to eat in moderation. Totally. So it's, I, I'm sure you find the same thing of people just beat themselves up over. I can't stop eating the chips once I open the bag. Right. 
and I can't either. Right. You know? right. Like, there's yeah. nothing special about me. They're delicious. I know people tend to confess like, oh, I really like sugar. I, I you know, really like to eat. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much everybody. There's yeah. very few people that don't actually like it. Totally. And I think it's good to be transparent about that because I think sometimes, I don't know, different coaches or fitness professionals will seem kind of on a pedestal right. of, oh, well, you're just unique and special and you don't go through these same cravings or you don't like these packaged foods. And uh, right. I definitely do. Right. I mean, totally. Yeah. They're French delicious. Fries in front of me. <laughs> yeah. They're delicious. <laughs> your ninth principle is your diet can't be validated. Mm. Yeah. Um, this one is people want a lot of confirmation that everything they're doing is right or good or okay. And it kind of speaks to the fact that like, we can't ever guarantee that for you. We can at best tell you how to decrease your health risk. This is really speaking to health risk because people want to know, am I doing everything that I can to prevent X, Y, and Z? And it's like, we can never guarantee that. We can never tell you. What we can tell you is that your practices are falling in line of patterns that have shown to decrease risk. And that's the best mm -hmm. that we can do. Um, and so I just try to encourage people to look at current health markers, current fitness markers. I think those are great to include um, weight and have them all kind of in healthy ranges and to maintain that over time. And that's the best way that we can kind of guarantee you're doing all that you're doing, but it certainly won't guarantee perfect health forever for everyone. And that's another way to go crazy. It's yes. just to second guess every single decision. Totally. Of, you know, is this perfect? Is this perfect? Um, speaking yeah. of perfect. Oh, sorry. Oh, I just wanted to add on because I do deal with a lot of people who are doing this. I don't know what to call it. Optimization in quotes of their diet. And, you know, I think a lot of stuff in this space really preys on what I call the worried well. It's these people who want to be doing everything under the sun and they're trying these different tactics. It might be continuous glucose monitoring. It might be I don't know, various elimination diets they don't need under the idea that they're somehow getting to a more perfect, healthy state when we have no clinical evidence to suggest that. And so not only is this to let people know that we can't guarantee the outcome in the sense of I can't tell you just yes or no, but it hopefully alleviates some of the burden of that there's some perfect place to finally get to with your nutrition. It's like eat mostly whole unprocessed foods in the right quantities, exercise, sleep enough, decrease life stress, and now worry about something else in your life. <laughs> right. Now enjoy right. the heck out of life right. and, you know, and, you know, in relationships and community totally. and all the other awesome things. Exactly. And then, Speaking to perfection, the 10th mm -hmm. one is there are diminishing returns on attaining perfection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this does sort of overlap, I guess, with that last point that I just mentioned. But I think sometimes, you know, again, people want to know, should my carbs be at 35% or 33%? And what should the fat numbers be? And how exactly much magnesium should I take in every day to have optimal, you know, 5k time or something like that. And it's like, okay, the process of optimization is really, really time consuming, you have to hold every factor consistent, and then minorly change that variable one at a time across weeks to really see if it's working. And, and this isn't even valid, because it's just an end of one, but that would be the way that you would do it. It's a level of detail and painstaking precision that I don't really know anybody who wants to do. <laughs> Maybe there's a few people out there, not most of the clients that I work with. And so again, we get these big factors in place, total calories, 
total uh, macronutrient distribution within a general ballpark of okay. We work out often and with intent, we sleep enough and, and that's it. And after that, like, don't try to chase anymore because I think that you're not going to get quite the same benefit out of it as the work level that you're putting in. Basically, simple is good. <laughs> yeah. Embrace the simple, right? right? Stop right. trying to overcomplicate things. And I get why people feel as if they need to do that, especially if they've tried everything. Um, I think, do you follow Dr. Spencer Nadolsky? Oh, I think I do. But yeah, go ahead. He posted the other day, uh, just a picture of, I think, six different diet books. Right. And he said, if you were to read all of these, you would have nothing left to eat. <laughs> because one is saying, don't eat these certain vegetables because of lectins. And one right. is saying only eat vegetables. And one saying don't eat meat. And one saying eat meat. And so that just, that image stands out to me that there's a lot of conflicting information out there, which does make it feel super complicated. Mm -hmm. But you just mentioned nutrition, movement, sleep, stress, mm -hmm. boom, Done. like Done. keep it simple, do those things and then see magical results really compared to all of the complex stuff you've done in the past. Totally. I, I got a puppy recently and uh, it's my first dog. And so I don't know anything about dogs. And so I've been Googling information. And now I'm like, now I know how people feel Googling nutrition information. Oh, right. Because one person's probably like, take them out every two hours. Right, one right. person's like, don't. I'm like, I get it now. This is so confusing. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same type of thing if you have a kid or, right. you know, you're, anything you're Googling for, right. money, right. Uh, finances, you know, there's a lot on Google. Right. And yeah, it's... <laughs> It can be paralyzing totally, for sure. Totally. Uh, you may have already busted them, but are there any circulating nutrition myths right now mm -hmm. that are your favorite to currently bust? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them we probably did bust a little bit, but um, definitely the the fruit is too much sugar idea is one that <laughs> I'm quite vocal about and like to continually debunk that one. It's really unfortunate too. And I, I don't know where or how it started, but it, again, our, our chronic disease epidemic is not because people are eating too many apples and bananas. Um, and so, you know, when we look at the amount of sugar that people eat, when they actually just eat fruit as fruit, it is not too much. And I've hopefully helped. I've been told I've helped people come back to eating fruit. <laughs> they feel great. So I'd like to continue to debunk, debunk that one. And fruit is delicious. Right. Right. Yeah. It is good. I mean, talk about if you have a sweet tooth. Right. I mean, my parents uh, live in Arizona and they sent me some, or they keep sending my husband and me citrus because they have all of these orange trees and grapefruit trees. And the oranges are like a dessert. They're so fantastic. Exactly. And I can't imagine if I thought I'm not allowed to eat these. That would be, what a bummer. I know. I know. And it's okay. You can eat them. <laughs> you can eat them yeah. just in piety. It's going to be okay. Exactly. If every single yo-yo dieter out there were to hear this episode, mm. what would you want them to take away from what you've said? You know, this might be why I'm not um, known for my marketing, but, you know, nutrition success is in application incredibly boring. And you can make it interesting if you're a chef and you love cooking and you come up with new spice mixtures and different flavorings and stuff like that. But the application, the secret that everybody wants is doing really boring and mundane tasks on repeat forever. It's mostly whole and processed food. Like most meals look like two cups of fruits or vegetables with a piece of protein and done and just relive that forever. And you have a small budget of fun foods a day and that's it. 
that's it. There, there's a woman who runs street parking, Miranda, you might know her. And I know her from my CrossFit days. And I always use her as my example because she'll post sometimes a week of what she eats and it's like clockwork. And some people think it's too rigid. And guess what? She has no decision fatigue from nutrition. <laughs> she has no weighing and measuring that like consistency is the freedom that I think a lot of people want in nutrition. And it's boring. Yeah. And it's boring. It's funny you say that because I said that uh, when I was being interviewed on an episode mm. and the interviewer hated the response. It's not flashy. I know. They were almost personally offended that I said that. Right. And they said, surely you don't mean doing boring, mundane, the same stuff. And they said, no, I mean, yeah, yes, I, do I do mean that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they just, they couldn't, I can't even remember who it was, but they couldn't wrap their mind around it. And they kept trying to have me rephrase it. And I said, no, I, I'm sorry. I actually do believe that. Maybe you should. Good for you for sticking your ground. Me. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know how to rephrase it because right. I was like, no, that's the truth. Right. I mean, if you want to hear the truth, I'm not going to then create some lie right. to make this a flashier, you know, statement for you. Um, you know, I think it was, I'm, I'm like 95% sure that it was Rob Wolf who I said it. I just, I really liked the quote. Mm. Nutrition is all about trade-offs. You know, if you yeah. want simple, the trade-off is it's boring. If you right. want to get your goal, the trade-off is it's hard. I mean, there's so many things. If you want to restrict X amount of foods, if you don't want to eat, I don't know, um, animal-based protein, okay, now the trade-off is there's going to be more monotony in your diet. There's always some downstream consequence of our decision. And and so the trade-off of wanting a simple and easy diet is it's boring. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's such a good point to bring up too of, you know, the trade-off could be time. Mm -hmm. It could be money. Mm -hmm. Some people are willing to sacrifice more money and buy vegetables pre-chopped right. or sign up for a meal delivery service. Some exactly. people want to sacrifice more time. But there is some type of cost mm -hmm. or trade-off always involved. Always. And then you have to decide. Sometimes I'm sure you have this too. Somebody will come to me and say, I want to lose 30 pounds. But then they're very they're willing to make very, very few exactly. trade-offs. So we have to reevaluate, you know, could you be happy losing 10 pounds right. and making fewer trade-offs? Because 30 pounds is gonna require more. Right. Um totally. and I don't think enough people kind of have that conversation or realize sometimes the trade-offs involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, I want to change my diet so it's more healthy, but I don't want to eat fruits and vegetables. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. which do you want? Which do you want? <laughs> we don't get both. Right. Which do you want? Exactly. I wish, I wish I could wave a magic wand and give you everything, right. but right. you got to kind of, kind of come halfway at least, yeah. you know, meet me halfway. Yeah. I ask each of my guests a final question, mm -hmm. which is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Mm. Yeah, I really like this investment analogy. And so it's great that your podcast is named that. Um, but I think it's great to think about nutrition and health similar to investing in retirement. It's, it's this slow, steady contribution every day. You're not a millionaire overnight. It only comes from these small wins every single day of consistency. And um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. Like, keep to it because the results come, but it's only after small changes that add up big over time. 